Hello, and welcome to episode 54 of Can We Still Be Friends, a podcast that tests the limits of the friendship between two people who mistake movie taste for personal morality. I'm Nate Goss, here with Ryan Ebling. As we so often do on this podcast, we're going back to our childhoods in this episode. With two Mike Myers blockbusters celebrating milestones this year, we have decided to rewatch Wayne's World, the surprise 1992 hit directed by Penelope Spheris, and 1997's ubiquitous Austin Powers, directed by Jay Roach. While these movies were on repeat during our junior high years, we wanted to see how they strike us, now that we're serious, joyless fathers. Wayne's World surprised everyone. First, when it turned out to be better than people expected a weird SNL skit stretched out into a full-length movie to be, and second, when it made over $120 million at the box office. Five years later, Mike Myers returned with another zany character with a pocket full of catchphrases in Austin Powers' International Man of Mystery. Financially, Austin Powers didn't dominate the box office like Wayne's World. It made only $53 million during its theatrical run, which was surprisingly low, I thought. However, in the years that followed, Austin Powers, Dr. Evil, and their catchphrases were absolutely everywhere, spawning two sequels that each made over $200 million. So are these movies going to live on for another 20 to 25 years? Or has the appeal of Myers and his unforgettable characters waned over time? Keep listening. think most of you know that those are the two uh, sort of main themes to the movies we're talking about today. First, Wayne's World and then Austin Powers. Yeah, we kind of had to figure out how we were going to do all of this, really, with the two-movie thing. How are we going to sort this out? We're not quite sure. There's probably a good five minutes of just catchphrases from each movie. Right. We could have put together a whole sort of clip 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 montage. uh, montage. Maybe a clip, like a back and forth of uh, Wayne speaking to Austin Powers and Dr. Evil. Yeah, that would have been great. Something we could do. Yeah. If we had the time. Oh, well. Yeah. But I think this whole episode is going to be a bit of an experiment. Absolutely. How how are we going to talk about two movies? This is a real high wire act. Um, I th- and I, I, f- I think that that's really going to come through for you guys, the listeners, and I think you're going to find this to be uh, one of the just more, extraordinary. One of the more uh, adrenaline-fused uh, mm-hmm. episodes we've yeah. done. Yeah, you'll probably have to take a knee after after listening to this mm-hmm. one. Well, do what you need to do. You know, right? Yeah, that's not. I mean, if you need I'm to, no doctor. If you need to pause this for a little bit, if take you've a got bad knees and a bad heart, maybe. Yeah, lie down. You know, okay, so let's talk about our first time sure. watching these movies. We'll just maybe you can do your mm-hmm. two. Well, like and I said, I can do my two. Wayne's yeah. World. I knew I I knew people who had seen it, so it was one of those things that I the movie. Mm-hmm. I, I had seen the sketches and stuff on Saturday Night Live, and you had, um, yeah, before throughout the, my life. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, not when like they were airing. I was eight. My right. parents weren't letting. We used me to have stay the syndicated and... stuff on Comedy Central yeah. all the time, and uh, and so I had seen him. Definitely. I mean, there's no way you don't know who Wayne is, and no, you don't live through those days and not know like Party On and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Um, but then when I did see it, 
nobody was really talking about it much anymore. Like everybody was like, oh, yeah, Wayne's World. I used to watch that. Uh, How old were you when you I saw was it? Probably, I was probably 18. Oh, that old? Yeah. Okay, wow. Yeah. Like when I finally saw it. Yeah, all right. Because by the time I was, you know, 13 when Austin Powers came out, nobody was really watching Wayne's World. It yeah. wasn't like, oh, yeah, if you yeah. like Austin Powers, watch Wayne's World. So it was all Austin Powers. I think and it's then, interesting, though, because you're really only, what, two years younger than me? Year and a half, two something years? Something like that. But that's enough to make a complete difference in our experience mm-hmm. of these two movies because you almost went at them backwards than I did. Right. You know, like oh, I definitely opposite, did. You, know. you uh, were totally watching Wayne's World with Austin Powers completely in your mind. You know. So, yeah, I, I, my, I was not deemed old enough by my parents to see Austin Powers in theaters. Okay. And by the numbers, not that many people saw Austin Powers in the theaters. No. 50 to 3 million was way lower than I expected. Well, yeah, I mean, I knew that the sequels had done much better. Four times better. Oh, I, yeah, and I kind of knew that, but my memory was that Austin. I mean, I, it was. I was in every. Yeah, I was. I was in eighth grade. There was Austin and Powers we were merchandise. All going to see it. Yeah, I. I so I never saw it in theaters, but I saw it on VHS, and I don't know if it was the first time I saw it. I know one of like the more foundational times watching it was at a sleepover where we stayed up all night and we watched uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights and Austin Powers, and I think we watched them all again well that's a great double double feature it is for a junior high boy yeah yeah but my friends we all just loved it if we if we didn't know what to do we watched austin powers which i think is actually where the movie really took off was actually on vhs and dvd and as people watched it and quoted it and like did their own impressions which again also killed it for everybody exactly all right stop doing a dr evil stop saying one million dollars stop putting your pinky by your mouth and uh, so, yeah, Austin Powers, it was, uh, you know, brightest light burns the, the, the quickest or whatever <laughs> sure. that phrase is. Something like that. Uh, yeah, I get bright, what you mean. The, the brightest light is. Uh... And so <laughs> uh, I saw a gold member in theaters, but I was like, by, no, it was already no, a little no, over by the time I'm that done came with out. This, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I saw Wayne's World later in high school and then watched it like. I've probably watched it like five times since then. Um, the most like, recent time. Liked being, it? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And so in my mind, Wayne's World is a much better movie. Now, this is I've all before it. the rewatch, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and so... And had it been a while since you had seen Austin Powers? Before I, we did I hadn't seen Austin Powers since like before The Spy Who Shagged Me. Oh, okay. Like yeah. we watched it over and over and over and over again. And then The Spy Who Shagged Me came off. out. And, like yeah. we saw that in theaters. And then we saw Goldmember in theaters. And it was like, wow. Well, and so on Letterboxd, I, I think because of the burnout, Austin Powers is a three-star movie, um, and uh, Wayne's World is four and a half. For me, one of the things I think I'm really thankful for is that I just had parents with good senses of humor. You yeah. know, Wayne's World was 92, um, you know, so I was like nine years old when it was in theaters. So I didn't see it in theaters, but right when it came out on VHS, my parents bought it, actually. They, liked, they saw it in the theater, liked it enough liked to it buy well. it. And um, I watched, you know, Wayne's World when I was 10 years old. And mm-hmm. even then, I, I, don't, I don't think I got it all. Right. But I still loved it. I still thought it was so funny. And I still yeah. remember feeling cool about liking it because, mm-hmm. like, I remember pretty soon after my parents bought it, um, they were going out on, like, a Friday night. And we had a babysitter who was in high school that came over. And she saw that we had it. And she's like, you guys have Wayne's World? She's like, can we watch it? <laughs> <laughs> like she babysitter asked my parents. Babysitter annoying yeah. the kids, like... Yeah. 
Let's watch it again. No. <laughs> and I remember, Put us to bed. I just remember watching it with the babysitter, and she thought it was hilarious, and I thought it was hilarious, and we just like, That's I awesome. just loved that. Like, yeah. it was a cool feeling because yeah. it was like this older person that I was like, mm-hmm. you know, sharing this comedic kind of film with, you know. Right. And so it's always been a favorite of mine. We would watch it constantly. You know, yeah. I knew that movie so well. And then Austin Powers came out and I was at that point, I was in eighth grade. I was in junior high. And I remember this was during like our Springfield uh, trip on in eighth grade. That was like the release weekend. And we didn't go see it, but everyone was talking about how that's what they were going to do was go see Austin Powers. Yeah. And I mean, this was also, you know, you're still in middle school, so you can't just all drive together. So I think the way it actually turned out was I went with my with like my mom and my brother to go yeah. see it. But when I did see Austin Powers in the theater, I was one of those, what was it, $50 million yeah. it made. And I mean, you know, it's like whenever you watch movies like that in junior high, you laugh and so they're great. You right. know, like that was a, to me, that was a great movie and yeah. I watched it a ton. We also bought it on VHS DVD when it came yeah. out and I watched it a ton. I saw all the, all the sequels in the theater like yeah. when they came out, you know. <laughs> I will say uh, the three-star rating on Letterboxd for Austin Powers for me is something I did when I set up my letterbox account. So that was like a, an adult. In it was a reexamination. Back. Yeah. If you had asked me like when I was a kid, I would have been like five stars. No doubt. This right. is one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. There is something to be said for those standards. Like it made me laugh a lot and I had fun watching it. Five stars. Five stars. <laughs> yep. Anyways, I don't need to draw this out any longer, I guess, but basically, uh, Austin Powers is the one that did kind of drop off. I stopped watching it um, once I kind of hit high school. Mm-hmm. Um, well, when Goldmember came out, I was already a little tired of it, but I wasn't even it anyways. remember Goldmember. And I, I already kind of like when Goldmember came out, that one I never liked. Like I didn't think it was that funny no. when it was in the theater even. And so I kind of just uh, stopped watching Austin Powers. And I didn't watch Wayne's World a ton after that, but I did rewatch it a few times. And yeah. Wayne's World 2, actually, I had a friend in high I've school. I've never seen Wayne's what? World 2. It gets a lot of crap for not being very good, but I know me and my friend in high school, I had one friend in high school, we watched Wayne's World 2 a ton. I think there's a lot of equally quotable lines in Wayne's World 2. But it had actually been years since I had watched either of these movies, so I was excited to go back to them, and especially with Austin Powers, I think I was more curious. The more, Yeah, the more I thought about watching them again, the more excited I got. So uh, we did rewatch them. Right, uh, and so my rating before that, though, yeah. would have been Wayne's World, five stars, definitely. Um, in Austin Powers, um, I prob- I think if I went, I didn't. I don't know what I did. I think on Letterboxd, I had it at like three and a half, I think, or yeah. something like that. Okay. So we did rewatch it. Did the excitement uh, die at all as you started watching them? Uh, it's a trick question, I think. It is. Good, good eye. You're, you're, <laughs> you're good at catching my trick question. <laughs> Because my excitement did not wane. Like, as soon as, like, uh, the movie started up, I was like, you know... Wayne's World or both of them? Both of them. I think as soon as I started up, I was like, I'm totally looking forward to doing Mm -hmm. this. And it did not... It it stayed throughout the whole thing. But but I think when it was all said and done, my evaluation of the movies had kind of changed over the years. Sure. Um, And I, I can... For me, I think Wayne's World holds up amazingly well. Yes. Five stars Beginning still. to end. Like yeah. rock solid five star movie. I love Wayne's World. And yeah. I actually didn't know how it would hold up just because it's such a defined of era. Its time, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a 90s movie. I don't know how they pull it off, but even the lines that I knew mm-hmm. and that have become yep. cultural icons, when you see them in Wayne's World, they're still they're funny. funnier than you, you remembered, yeah. <laughs> I think um, Austin Powers, 
for me, not so much. Um, right. I, I, I so, think I would drop that one. Not, I mean, oh, okay. I didn't think it was necessarily a bad movie, but for me, it's like an okay movie. I'd put it at three stars now. So, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, totally agree with you on Wayne's World. I think the difference between it and some other movies that are of their time is that Wayne's World is borderline era defining mm-hmm. rather than defined by its era. Hmm. Yeah. Like Wayne's World kind of put everything into a context that summed it all up. Right. And it was welcoming to everybody. Yes. The fact that like it's my not, parents yeah, who knew nothing about hair metal could that's really the other you know, thing. Yeah, that's the other thing. It's it's remarkably kind. Yes. And it's, universal. Yeah, like you don't need to cruel. know anything about metal right. to get Pretty right. much all the jokes, right. you know. It's not cruel to anybody except for maybe the people who deserve corporate it. people, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, now, for me, Austin Powers, as excited as I was to watch it, I was pretty sure my three star would hold, like that. I was going to be rolling my eyes pretty constantly. Okay. I was pleasantly surprised that it held up better than I expected it to. Okay. To the point that I would actually bump it up hmm. from three, possibly up to four. Okay. Now, that being said, there are things that I think don't work, haven't aged well, that made me just like, ugh, okay. (laughs) But then there were things that I had forgotten about or hadn't noticed that are just so smart about it. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll agree with you there. There was actually a lot in Austin Powers that I forgot about. Yep. As much as I remembered. Yeah. There was stuff that I I had completely overlooked in this. I could I could probably have quoted some of the things, but not even realized what I was saying until I watched it this time and I was and seeing it again and just thinking about it because conceptually it's so strong. Mm-hmm. Mike Myers is so good at writing fully thought out characters and fully thought out scenarios. Whether or not the whole time in the execution it's working, I think no matter what he always has uh, in in I'll say Wayne's World, Swami Married and Axe Murder, and Austin Powers, not so <laughs> yeah. much the sequels. The concept behind it is so thoroughly thought out, and um, and this is something I want to talk about more. It's so committed to mm-hmm. when when we did our Goldfinger episode, that was the first time I had ever seen that movie. Yeah, so you actually probably have a much right. better understanding right. of what it's doing. I but that although were, that, that ended up being a lot of my notes was how spot on as a Bond spoof this is. Right. And I can, I, after seeing Goldfinger, I definitely can pick up on that. Right. And I had you know. seen tons of Bond movies before I saw Austin right. Powers. Uh, and all, but, but also, uh, there was, if we, if we can kind of shift gears into Austin Powers for just a second, yeah. uh, I was really impressed with the areas where it was parodying other things that weren't mm-hmm. uh, James Bond movies. Like, like I, you know, we also had both watched Hard Day's Night for the first time yes. for this podcast. And, and I was like, intro. oh, that intro is just Hard, Hard Day's, Day's Night. Night. That's what it is, you know, and, and it's done, it is executed so well. It's, and, yeah. and it's not quite mm-hmm. Hard Day's Night because it's got all the color. Right. So it's sort of doing this interesting remix. It's yeah. almost like a, it's a Hard Day's Night in its, uh, in, in, in what's happening. Yep. But the actual aesthetic of it is a lot more of those old, like Peter Sellers, right. 60s movies, it's like a, the I Love You, Alice B. Tokus, like yeah, that kind yeah, of yeah, stuff, yeah. you know. It's such a good blend, and it, it is its own unique thing. It doesn't seek to improve upon it. It's it's just really trying to find all these uh, influences and, and put them together. Right, to almost kind of hit your memory of that era yeah. more than really trying to approximate anything really specific yeah. you know and that's the that's the thing that i think makes it hold up for me is that it really makes everything its own 
And it's so celebratory. It's a joyful movie, mm-hmm. really. Like it's having so much fun. And it does unique jokes within that, that mm-hmm. like feel of the 60s era, but also feel fresh. Right. There was a, actually a really good, I think it was Hollywood Reporter put out a really long article for the 20th anniversary of Austin Powers, oh, yeah. which we should link in our show notes. But yeah. um, it's it actually interviews a ton of people from the movie. Um, just Is about it like their, an oral history? Yeah. First of all, like you were saying, just that, that it's a joyful movie. I mean, that really comes through because this was such a passion project of Mike Myers and, and Jay Roach. And the thing is, I was watching it now thinking, it's kind of odd that they even thought this would work right. in the 90s. Like, who was really yeah. thinking about this in the 90s? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and then when I read in the, the Hollywood Reporter article, it was just that really Mike Myers was only thinking about it because his, his father had recently passed away. Oh, wow. And he was thinking about his relationship with his father and what his father loved and how he would love to just do a movie that mm. celebrated all that his father loved. So it really, cool. it really didn't come from a place of like, this is what's hot right now. Right. This is, this is right. what it people, wasn't just, you know. It wasn't a cynical, like trying to tap into something. Right. But so for that reason, like that more like cerebral part of it, that this is clearly a thought out movie and like has influences. And now this idea that his, he was kind of making it, to celebrate his father. Yeah, and then Jay Roach, the director, he was a buddy of Mike Myers, but he was kind of just chosen because they both had a love for this stuff. So he found okay. a director who also had a who vision had like, and, yeah, and yeah, knew yeah. exactly... Because Jay Roach, up until then, had done like nothing. Right. Before. Well, and that's super interesting because Penelope Spheres was chosen for the same reason for Wayne's World. This right. is somebody who knows this world, has knows this aesthetic. Let's bring them in. Um, and I think we can talk about that a lot more later. Um, but let's keep talking about Austin Powers. And... Um, were there things that, that surprised you that worked, uh, still, yeah. or was it pretty overall? There was stuff that actually surprised me that it would work on me at this age. Yeah. There's some pretty juvenile humor in Absolutely. this movie. Absolutely. More than Wayne's World by far. Definitely. Um, and so I actually wrote in my notes, why am I laughing at this Swedish penis enlarger joke okay. right now? Okay. <laughs> like, so I want to talk about that. One vinyl record album, Bert Bacharach plays his hits. Hey, bro. Yeah. One Swedish-made penis enlarger pump. That's not mine. One credit card receipt for Swedish-made penis enlarger signed by Austin Powers. I'm telling you, baby, that's not mine. One warranty card for Swedish-made penis enlarger pump filled out by... Austin Powell. I don't even know what this is. This sort of thing ain't my bag, baby. One book, Swedish-made penis enlarger pumps and me. This sort of thing is my bag, baby. By Austin Powers. Ah. Just sign the form. Okay, don't get heavy, man. I'll sign him just to get things moving, you know. It's a penis joke, obviously, and it's but it, but it just it just keeps going and it's it keeps so going well and, and it's crafted well because I think the delivery of the guy yep. who's upping it every single time is right. so neutral in his delivery. Uh-huh. And Mike Myers and performing Mike, his like more and more agitated right. and there was a long time where I was rolling my eyes, so it's almost like it had to sell me, mm-hmm. and then it actually sold me when he pulled out the book. Right, <laughs> I know. I was that's, like, "All right, that's funny." Yeah, you know? and, just, and and that just keeps working break, at it. It kind of breaks the rules of comedy because mm-hmm. there's what the rule of threes, and yeah. this is like what the rule of five. Right, you know, like he just keeps going. Well, you know, in, in following the urination scene. Yeah, that there's which, that to the evacuation scene, which again, I kind of had to feel bad for anyone who would have had to have gone pee in the theater when that was on. Because even if you don't have to pee, you kind of have <laughs> to bring that scene. <laughs> 
Evacuation complete. Evacuation complete. Complete. Evacuation complete. The movie is inextricably linked with my friend Jason in my mind. And I was texting him like, I'm kind of like, you won't believe I'm watching Austin Powers now. And uh, he was like, how does the urination scene hold up? And so I was waiting for that to see if it does. And man, it, it still made me laugh. Like mm -hmm. I didn't, when I was a kid, I died. Like we had to pause it and we rewound <laughs> it and rewatched it. I wasn't dying, but it was still funny. And I was trying to think of why it's still funny. Part of it, they take it much longer than you'd expect. That breaks the rule of threes because mm -hmm. they do it three times. And you're right. like, okay. And then like the fourth time you're like, geez. And Mike Myers' performance, it's just really funny. Yeah. The, the timing to put his hand against the wall, mm -hmm. his, his hair messed up, That's twitching feet. And it was at that moment that I realized what works so well about Mike Myers when he's working is that he is fully committed uh -huh. to the joke. He will see it through to the end. And I feel like his precision and his timing mm -hmm. is, in, in both movies, actually. Yes. Absolutely. It's the one yeah. thing I really, I mean, there's a lot I noticed, but this was one thing that really caught my eye this time is the brilliance of Mike Myers as a comedian. Yes. And as often- As a comedic performer. As, yeah. a, as a performer, um, in, 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 the, in the delivery, in the timing, in the physicality yeah. often. Um, and it's not physicality as in like, you know, he's doing Over anything. the top, Over the top. falls. It's yeah. just, it's just- um, Like it's, the details. He for knows, instance- like, the other one that I thought held up really well was the the cart in the thin mm -hmm. alley, yeah. the twenty seven point turn or whatever right, yeah. it is, and I was like, okay, this is pretty funny, blah, blah, blah. you know, it's fine, it's a good joke. And then it just floored me when it goes the opposite way of what yeah, he thinks. He puts it in, he reverse, puts it in reverse and he looks and back and, he back and then forward. it goes forward. <laughs> the the yeah. way he just sort of like but plays the fact it that is he so like puts his arm up on the thing every time. That every time he back, every time he backs up, he he looks back. Those are just like perfect details. And his and it's the, way the same he, thing in the peeing scene. Yeah, and and I think especially in the '90s, that was kind that was super fresh. Because mm -hmm. I remember that being right. kind of like, I'd never seen anything like that before. It is so, so funny when it's the therapy session oh with Dr. Gosh. Evil and Seth Green and Carrie Fisher, who I forgot was I in totally the movie. I totally forgot she was in that. <laughs> but I, that scene is so well executed. It's amazing. Hello, Hello Dr. Dr. Evil. Hello, Hello Scott. Scott. Hello, everybody. So, Scott, why don't we start with you? What brings you here with us today? Well, I just really met my dad for the first time five days ago. I was partially frozen his whole life. That is beautiful that you can admit to that. He comes back, and, and now he wants me to take over the family business. But, Scott, who's going to take over the world when I die? Listen to the words he used. Who's going to take over the world when I die? Feels like that to some of us sometimes, doesn't it? <laughs> so, what do you want to do, Scott? I don't know. I was thinking I like animals. Maybe I'd be a vet. An evil vet? No. Maybe like work in a petting zoo. An evil petting zoo? You always do that! I just think like he hates me. I really think he wants to kill me. Now, Scott, 
We don't want to kill each other in here. We might say that we do sometimes, but we, we really don't. <laughs> Actually, the boy's quite astute. I really am trying to kill him, but so far, unsuccessfully. He's quite wily, like his old man. But let me just say, I thought I would be suffering through every Dr. Evil scene. Yeah, me because too. Because everybody had friends and was doing Dr. Evil impressions he themselves. Was a, he was a tired character, you know. Very by, much so. By the, by the time the series was done. Like, it was yeah. just insane. I, I couldn't believe that I would ever laugh at Dr. Evil again. And that was the second thing my friend texted me. He's like, Does Doctor, is Dr. Evil still funny? And I, he is. He is, yeah. And Not would, in every single scene, but right. in most scenes, yeah. But again, I, as a kid, I wasn't aware of what the concept was. But the concept of a Bond villain in, in domestic situations right. is so good. And the fact that he does it in two different ways. One, he brings family drama into a lair. And then he also brings this villain in his getup into a group therapy session. <laughs> yeah. Where like his, fathers and sons are hugging, and, and his crying. teenager is so like typical like grunge, 90s, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it, Seth Green is pretty perfectly cast, I think, as is. that as that teenager. And I had I remember a friend that could quote Doctor Evil's monologue in the group therapy. <laughs> Watching it this time, it is so funny. Very well. Where do I begin? My father was a relentlessly self-improving boulangerie owner from Belgium with low-grade narcolepsy and a penchant for buggery. My mother was a 15-year-old French prostitute named Chloe with webbed feet. My father would womanize, he would drink, he would make outrageous claims like he invented the question mark. Sometimes he would accuse chestnuts of being lazy, the sort of general malaise that only the genius possess and the insane lament. My childhood was typical. Summers in Rangoon, luge lessons. In the spring, we'd make meat helmets. When I was insolent, I was placed in a burlap bag and beaten with reeds. Pretty standard, really. At the age of 12, I received my first scribe. The age of 14 is a roastery named Vilma, ritualistically shaved my testicles. There really is nothing like a shorn scrotum. It's breathtaking. I suggest you try it. You know, we have to stop. The stuff still works. Putting it back in context, it still really works, I think. But I do feel like there were times where I watched the movie and I was cringing a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. The yeah. Who Does Number Two Work For scene? Yeah. Do I Make You Horny was like... Oh my gosh, this oh, is like awful. like when he's on the bed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Those are the scenes. It actually, it's weird because Most there were more the, Austin Powers scenes that I was kind of cringing yes. at more than Dr. Evil scenes, right. which was the exact flip of what I thought was going to happen exactly. when I watched it. me too. You know what? I kind of thought after a while, I was like, I, I don't know that Elizabeth Hurley was the best casting choice for this. And the stuff where she's kind of playing off of him and they're kind of working off each other, I think that was actually some of the more cringeworthy mm -hmm. stuff I saw. And... I get it. He had a 60s sexual ethic, you know, and right. that was the joke, you know, but yeah. I just don't know that it's being executed all so, that well. Yeah. I'm not laughing that much at no. this, you know. It felt pretty tedious. And somehow that they characterized the 90s as being this moment of like monogamy and culture, you know, like, yeah. I was like, you know, it's kind of funny to me is I wonder if Austin Powers would have actually fit better 
now in the uh-huh. in the land of like Tinder and Snapchat. Right, right, and, right, like, right. You know, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, it seems probably a little, little the, that, the 90s yeah. seem a little uptight. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking. I was like, was the 90s really not, that not enlightened? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, I, you just said a bunch of things that I want to respond to. Uh, but Sorry. I'll stick with the, the no, it's okay. We haven't uh, gotten to Wayne's world yet. I know, but I, well, I'll stick with the, the, the sexual stuff. It doesn't work as comedy for me anymore. But what I will say is that the movie actually handles that concept of his idea of sexuality butting up against it because it handles it in a really pretty remarkable way. And this time around, I found Austin Powers to be not only a more sympathetic character, but actually a pretty inspiring character because the joke seems for a long time to just be, what if we dropped this super horny uh, 60s sexual ethic guy in the 90s? Right. Where it's all about like responsibility and apparently it's all about responsibility and protected uh, safe sex. And, and we just have different things, like things we find attractive. We don't find chest hair attractive. We don't right, find bad right. teeth attractive. You know, And that's definitely the joke. But... Austin Powers does a lot of self-reflection. He does. It's not very overwrought that he says, like, one, it's not really believable that he's so in love with Vanessa because it just sort of happens. Right. But once he realizes he is in love with her, he does soul-searching. And I got to say, the scene where he won't have sex with her because she's drunk should be, like, shown in colleges. (laughs) Right. Because that that is... an incredible statement about consent that Austin Powers, who would have sex with anything that moved, knew not to have sex with Vanessa because she was she was drunk right. and didn't know what she was doing. Right. Like that actually was a pretty like that's true yeah. enlightened scene. <laughs> yeah, and he also isn't conflicted about yeah. it. Yes, look at you. <laughs> You're smashed. No, I'm not. You are. No, I'm not. I'm a sensible one. I'm always a designated driver. I can't, darling. Why not? Because you're drunk. It's not right. No, I'm not drunk. I'm just beginning to see what my mummy was talking about all those years ago. I can't. (sighs) All right, well, tell me all about my mummy in the 60s. I'm dying to know what she was like. There's no part of him that was going to have sex with her in that moment. And I think uh, that's pretty admirable, like, for the movie, Uh that they knew where the joke began and ended. Yeah. And then it also makes his, his... transformation out of it like i guess admirable is the word i'm going to stick with because he just realizes that this doesn't fit in this time and then he gives that speech about what the 60s was about yeah it's pretty smart and pretty i mean not not a bad thing to live by isn't it ironic that the very things that you stand for free love swinging parties are all now in the 90s considered to be Evil? No, man, what we swingers were rebelling against is uptight squares like you, whose bag was money and world domination. We were innocent, man. If we'd known the consequences of our sexual liberation, we would have done things differently, but the spirit would have remained the same. It's freedom, baby, yeah. Face it. Freedom failed. No, man, freedom didn't fail. Right now, we've got freedom and responsibility. It's a very groovy time. (laughs) There's nothing more pathetic than an aging hipster. All right, Baldy. Shut your cake up. But it also 
just kind of highlights what comes through in both the movies is uh, how how soulless and empty the corporate mindset is right. and the greedy mindset is. Uh, that was definitely a connection I saw between these two mm, movies. Yeah. Now, I want to talk now about what Austin Powers stuff I did think was funny. You did or did I not? I did. Okay. The blackjack scene kills me. <laughs> he gets a five and oh. just says, I'll stay. <laughs> I suggest you. <laughs> I suggest you hit, sir. I too liked it. Anyway. That's the soup that Nazi, clip. by the way. That is the soup Nazi yeah. playing the dealer. Five. I'll stay. I suggest you hit, sir. I also like to live dangerously. As you wish, sir. 20 beats your five. I'm sorry, sir. Well, I won't lie to you. Cards are not my bag, baby. That scene killed me. It's just such a funny, outlandish, like... What a what a hilarious way for him to sh- like one up somebody. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I think you you make you make a lot of really good points, but I still can't get over just there. There were those times where I was just like rolling my eyes. It, it could just be a lot of the stuff I was rolling my eyes on is the stuff that grew really tired hearing it overquoted, mm-hmm. and um, some of that stuff, it, like in Wayne's World, I just kind of noticed that it still really worked. Yeah. And Austin Powers, it only worked some of the time. And maybe yeah. it's the character. You know, yeah. like when I heard Dr. Evil say twice, throw me a freaking bone here. I'm right. Like, so tired. Like that's, yeah. why did that ever become a thing? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and when him and uh, Seth Green are doing the shh, shh, the shushing part, there are other parts in this movie where it's doing the long joke and it's getting funnier because of it. This yep. is doing a long joke and I'm like, move on, please. Yeah, yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. And it's, and it's probably, I'm, I'm, That's, if I'm yeah. reflecting enough, it's probably just because it's not any fault of the movies. Right. It's because of what the culture did with that movie. Yeah. And the stuff that really does to me feel like a family guy joke, you know, mm-hmm. that's not Austin Powers fault that family right. guy did that. But right. like that whole idea of like taking, um, you know, jokes and just letting them go on long enough to stop being funny and then to get funny again, like Family Guy does that all the time. Right. And also just that whole idea that is pretty fresh in Austin Powers of Dr. Evil being in those domestic situations and really just taking characters that you wouldn't imagine in certain situations and putting them in those situations as if like a what if, you know? Yeah. And Family Guy just throws that out all the time. Right. Like, you know, uh, like well, remember that time I hit that deer and then it's like deer yeah. talking to each other in a car. You know, yeah, it's just right, kind of yeah. like that type of, yep. you know, speculative humor. Again, it's not really the fault of Austin Powers, but seeing it now, yeah. it's kind of like I always get mad at people when, you know, part of the reason they don't like U2 is because of what all the crappy bands did with it later. Or, yeah. or part of the reason why people don't like Rage Against the Machine is because they hate that they birth rap core, you know, mm-hmm. like this might be the movie correlation of that. Like, uh, yeah. you know, I might just be hating on Austin Powers because I hated the imitators, what all yeah. the imitators did with it mm-hmm. and kind of just ran it into the ground. And that's what I'm saying. Like, conceptually, I, I think it holds up way better than those other things. I, well, then I, I think this could be a good transition into Wayne's World because like you said, the things that were familiar in Austin Powers could be tiresome, but the things that are familiar in Wayne's World... Uh, we we love it because it's familiar, yeah. In a sense, or it's still fresh. So why why do we both and pretty much everybody uh, agree that Wayne's World is the better movie, like a yeah. gr- a great movie, yeah. 
rather than a movie that's maybe better than you remember it being or something. I, I've been honestly kind of racking my brain with this and yeah. I can't quite come up with anything. I don't know if you have any insight into it because it could just be, it's a more cozy, the characters are not these outlandish characters. They are in a way, but they are still just playing kind of dudes that you knew in your town. Right. And the town itself is a very familiar town and everything about it is is a lot more close to home when it comes to the humor and the stuff that like we've definitely heard over and over again. And like well, and seeing, the, mm-hmm. seeing them do a not joke. Yes. They're like, I understand why that, that became a thing why, because, because they do it so, so well yeah. in that movie. You know, you have never <laughs> heard anyone do a not joke as well as they do it originally in Wayne's. World. I've never heard know? a not joke outside of <laughs> Wayne's world. That's funny. Yeah. And, and the meta nature of it yeah. has been imitated, but the meta nature of Wayne's world holds up better than I think any imitator. Hmm. The talking to the camera stuff yeah. is done so well. It's not just a, a ex- expository device. It starts out that way, like Wayne talking to the camera, talking about, yeah, I still live with my parents, whatever. And that's still a funny monologue. And then the next time we see that is with Glenn at the donut shop. <laughs> and it's so it's good. amazing. <laughs> this is Dan Makita's Donuts. Excellent munchables. This is the manager, Glenn. He's here 24 hours a day. I recommend the sugar pucks. They're excellent. Come on. I'd never done a crazy thing in my life before that night. Why is it if a man kills another man in battle, it's called heroic? Yet if he kills a man in the heat of passion, it's called murder. Hello. What do you think you're doing? Only me and Garth get to talk to the camera. Come on. I mean, it's perfect. Yeah, and the, okay, the, so that and again, scene, the timing, yes. like, to bring it back then, where Wayne's talking to the camera, and then Glenn starts talking. Steals you're like, it. Oh, we're gonna, we're gonna, maybe we're gonna hear other characters' points of view, and then he starts saying this crazy thing, and then Wayne's like, "Whoa, hello." Like, yeah. <laughs> well, and 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 that is in a lot of other movies, that would be a character to make fun of, mm-hmm. and they don't really make fun of him. No, like he's just sort of this sinister, weird character. He's the guy who work, runs the donut shop. Yeah, they're kind of the character as yeah. He's, Even though maybe he, we don't want to hear about why he like killed a man, but you're right. Like there, there, there's not a cruel bone in that movie's body, and that's part of why I think it's so joyful. Like it's it just it's so cozy, like you said. Um, but the scene is just so well written. Yeah, that there's never been. A parallel. Like, I don't think it can be bested, honestly. And I don't think that's hyperbole to say that. In doing what it's doing, I don't think anybody has done it better. Right. And I will say this too. Even what I noticed about Wayne's World is even if it's a scene that I don't laugh at as much as I used to, Mm -hmm. I still love watching it. Yeah. Even if it's not as funny, which I can't say for Austin Powers. And I'll give you, you know, two examples for me would actually be the Bohemian Rhapsody thing. I wasn't laughing that much in that, maybe like I used to, but I just love watching it. Yeah. And then the same thing even when Garth does his foxy lady dance. Like right. I don't laugh as much at that, but I'm like, I love I watching it. I still love this. that it's here. I, I love I'm not, watching I'm not, this. I'm not, I wouldn't skip it. I wouldn't. No, like. exactly. So even the scenes that maybe aren't as funny or as fresh feeling as they once were, there's still something They're about- They're vital. They are necessary yeah. and they are all a part of what's happening in that movie. And you try to hear Bohemian Rhapsody when it kicks in and not even, and, and not- Think about banging your head. Yeah, that's true. I don't. I don't. I don't I think al- it's possible. I always kind of forget that in that scene they've got the dude in the middle who's totally drunk. Will you let me go?
mamma mia Mamma mia, let me go Beelzebub has a devil put aside for me For me And I, that that scene has kind of become legendary in that uh, Mike Myers and Dana Carvey didn't want to do it. They wanted the song, but the headbanging they thought was stupid, right? And they all like they were all in pain. Right? They had yeah, pain from I think we headbanging forever. I think we both listened to the, the yeah, recent director, Sound Opinions. Director Penelope uh, Spheres was on Sound Opinions, and she talks about it in the in the commentary on the DVD. Um, yeah, they they didn't think it would work or be funny. And Penelope Spheris said, no, it has to be this way. We need, at this point in the movie, to energize it and yeah. pick people up and bring it in. And it works. It's it's maybe not funny. Right. But it, it is... It feels true. It feels that if you aren't hooked, if you aren't ready to keep watching by that point, then I don't know what to tell you. Maybe we should talk a little bit about Penelope Spheris' yeah, contribution to that's, the movie. That's because, what I wanted to say. That's um, something that I think has been kind of a recent uh, part of the Wayne's World conversation is Penelope Spheris's influence mm-hmm. on it because of course Mike Myers wrote it uh Dana Carvey you know it was he they originated they originated these characters but I think more and more people are seeing that this movie has something special mm-hmm. like that Austin Powers doesn't have sure and I think it is Penelope Spheris's influence um because she before this she hadn't directed a feature no she had done some things for Saturday Night Live quick shorts, digital shorts yeah. yeah with Albert Brooks um, and just kept trying to get directing jobs and just not getting them. She made two documentaries, mm-hmm. The Decline of Western Civilization, part one and part two. Yeah, which um, I watched in preparation for Yeah, this. and I had watched those about a year ago. And, and, um, and they're unbelievable They really are, and they're really insightful into what she brings to Wayne's World. I think. Yeah, absolutely, because she's filming pretty outsized characters, really. The first movie is about punk, hardcore punk, and she's interviewing people that a lot of people would make fun of. Mm-hmm. Um, or just be scared of, even. Right. Wouldn't even listen to. Definitely f- people on the fringes. Um, and she just kind of lets them talk. Then, Decline of the Western Civilization Part 2 is about hair metal. So she's talking to Kiss. She's talking to Poison. She's talking to... Alice Cooper. Alice Cooper. Brett Michaels. Lemmy. Ta- yeah, she's talking all these to Steven like, Tyler, Joe Perry. Yeah. And she's talking to unsigned hair metal bands. Yes. These. That was the big like key to me. Yes. This wasn't just about capturing the stars of the era. This is about really trying to capture the scene yeah, in, in almost, both movies. Yeah, the, you know? Almost like the underground hair metal yeah. scene, which who would know existed. And in both situations, she presents people objectively but you can't help but see them for who they are and so you see these titans of hair metal and they look kind of ridiculous (laughs) because she just films them as people not Uh as titans of hair metal yeah she kind of knocks them down a few pegs but not just by by just just letting them them talk (laughs) and she i mean some people say she killed hair metal because people watched these people who kind of purported to be punk rock right and you're like, oh, you guys are just money grubbing addicts. Yeah. On the flip side of things with part one, you know, not to sidetrack too much, but I think it does also fit into Wayne's world because she takes this 
different scene that's actually very marginalized mm-hmm. and a lot deeper than people yeah give and i wouldn't say she, she doesn't really give it credibility but she definitely gives you an empathetic mm-hmm. view of it because i mean she's basically showing these as human beings and really kind of really, highlights the pain yes behind them right and also really does a good job of explaining where this is coming from right you know like this is why this music is coming this is why yep. they dress this way this she is, gets people to open up yeah. in an interesting way and in the in the part one you see these people that people had written off as just mindless rebels as people with a lot of emotional depth and then in part two right these people are a lot shallower. Who are held up as titans yeah, of are just music these, you know are really these shallow corporate <laughs> right. Money grubbers. Right. And, and the ones that have kind of lasted the test of time through the documentary yeah. are the ones that are honest in it. Yep. You know, Alice Cooper, Steven Tyler, even yep. to a degree, you know, and Ozzy. And they've all got, in Lemmy, they've all got perspective, yep. you know. And the other ones, you realize they've got no perspective. No. And there's nothing under the surface. On top of that, she knows how to shoot music. Mm-hmm. And so all the sequences with Tia Carrera's band. Yeah, they're which, really good. They're a, they're a fine band. Not my style. No, <laughs> they, they do what they do fine. But what she does, the way she shoots it, you get the appeal. Yes. It was funny in the Sound Opinions interview. She just says like, "Yeah, that movie made me rich." Like that's pretty much all she says about it. And she clearly uh, found a way to infuse her vision, but I think it was very difficult for her to. Um, and I don't think making the movie was necessarily a good experience for her. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of yeah, you get that without her actually coming out and saying right. It. Yeah, yeah, she's pretty diplomatic about it in a sense, in her own way, because she's a really she's unique also lady. pretty. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, but in the commentary, the first time you see Crucial Taunt and they do like this sweeping camera over the crowd, like whatever, she just said in the commentary, hey, Penelope knows how to shoot music. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. It's the same with the Alice Cooper scenes too. Yes, yeah. She knows the appeal of this music and she knows how to portray that. Um, on top of that, she knows how to tell the story of fringe characters mm-hmm. without judgment and making them endearing. Right. And who knows how they came off in the script fully. Like if you were just reading it, you definitely could have played this movie in a very mocking. You could have, this movie could have been just lambasting Wayne and Garth. Yeah, too. or just metalheads in general. Right. She brings a lot of heart to it. So I think what she does, uh, and it, it comes through a lot, I think, from her work with the client of Western civilization is it's kind of like Wayne and Garth is the way she portrayed the punk characters, you know, mm-hmm. with this sort of like, these are, these are, these are good people, really. Yeah. They might be a little messed up or they might be a little confused, but these are good people. Yeah. And then with the way she did like Alice Cooper's stuff, the way she brought out his humor in Wayne's world mm-hmm. is by showing him as the big hair metal guy in the concert thing and yeah. then saying this is what Alice Cooper's really like right. you know and 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 I it think really only her perspective from part 2 could have brought that out right. you know and that scene to me is still so funny the oh way he talks about Milwaukee so do you come to Milwaukee often well i'm a regular visitor here but Milwaukee has certainly had its share of visitors the French missionaries and explorers were coming here as early as the late 1600s to trade with the Native Americans. In fact, isn't Milwaukee an Indian name? Yes, Pete, it is. Actually, it's pronounced Miliwake, which is Algonquin for the good land. I was not aware of that. I think one of the most interesting aspects of Milwaukee is the fact that 
It's the only major American city to have ever elected three socialist mayors. Does this guy know how to party or what? Huh? Huh? Huh. Okay. Well, we gotta get going. So I think what Penelope Spears does is she kind of has this great leveling effect. Mm-hmm. Like she kind of elevates the people who could use some elevating, knocks down the people who we kind of yep. look at as these icons. And actually, Rob Lowe is obviously the villain here, and he's he, he's he's great actually as that. Yeah. And part of the reason is because you just he's so vacuous. You're okay with him being the butt of all these jokes. Yeah. Because he's just such an empty asshole. Right. And she does such a good job yeah. of portraying him as she, that, you know? Yeah, she can knock people down just by letting them talk. Yeah. And even if it's just the, and I don't know if this comes from Penelope Spears or if it comes from the script or Mike Myers or what, but I mm-hmm. always love the fact that the, the movie and the way it's shot likes to take jabs at its, its sort of villain characters. Like mm-hmm. the fact that every time they do an ending, it's Rob Lowe getting out of his car after being cavity searched. <laughs> Yeah. And walking awkwardly up to the house. <laughs> no matter what, that always happens. Yeah, whether yeah, it's yeah, the yeah. happy ending, the Scooby Doo ending. Well, but, yeah, yeah, I, I want to talk about that because the multiple endings still amazing. Yeah, every time those those meta elements, the Oscar clip scene kills me every time. It may have imitators, but like, does it though? I was trying to think I don't of know this. About that. Like, you know, the the but it's such the a non- fresh idea. The like, non sequiturs throughout the movie. The movie's yeah. got a lot of non sequiturs. Things that like. The you know the the advertise the where they talk about how much they hate advertising. That's, That's so just good. An extended yeah. commercial and the the level it's of real... acting there because it's <clears throat> it's an acting where you're like, I know that commercial. Like yep. each commercial has its own style. Well, that's where I see things just a little differently. Contractor, no, I will not bow to any sponsor. I'm sorry, you feel that way, but basically, it's the nature of the beast. Maybe I'm wrong on this one, but for me, the beast doesn't include selling out. Garth, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's like people only do things because they get paid. And that's just really sad. I can't talk about it anymore. It's giving me a headache. Here, take two of these. Ah, new print, little, yellow, different. Look, it's it's pretty remarkable that they they made this work from a Saturday Night Live skit by sort of making a sketch comedy movie, because each of those could kind of stand on their own, mm-hmm. and that definitely comes from a, a school where they've practiced slipping in and out of characters over the course of an hour and a half, you know, and so they brought their strengths to the movie and used them rather than sort of trying to do something completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's the strength of the movie is a sort of its restraint. But again, so there's, we, we, we kind of come back to the question, why does Austin Powers not work as well as Wayne's world? Because there's juvenile humor in Wayne's world. The happy oh, the, birthday, Mr. President. Right. But a I, sphincter says what? Yeah, and the, this guy blows goats. I have proof. Yeah. I laughed. I, I freaking laughed at the happy birthday, Mr. President scene. <laughs> I'm like, how does Mike Myers make that funny? Because it's just so silly, but it works. Yeah. And then and then another thing that's pretty remarkable about the movie is that there's moments of genuine emotion just kind of tossed in there mm-hmm. really naturally. Well, the friendship like between Wayne and Garth is really the touching. The friendship between Wayne and Garth, it's it's a pretty intimate scene where he's doing the camera one, camera two yeah. thing. 
and it but it doesn't feel out of place and it's just sort of it's just so nice mm-hmm. it's all so nice yeah and tia carrera i think is great and yeah. i always really liked her as the love interest like because she was such a she was such a like full fleshed out character herself you know and the way she like goes and gets her money from the guy who booked the show yeah like that's those Trying are to details yeah. too that like any any unsigned band has that stuff right at like yes. every one of their shows yeah. and so the fact that like she has to stop their their first encounter just to say like hey uh hang on i gotta go yeah. do this this like nuts and bolts thing that's the 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 truth for every yeah. every band and she's some it. she somehow sells it convincingly that she would be part of this really cool band and yet still fall for wayne mm-hmm um, who really he's not all that cool, you know? Well, they're both um, sort of local celebrities. Right, right. But also that like Rob Lowe would be really interested in her and that you, you believe her as a character that she wouldn't really fall for that, you yeah. know? Yeah, that she would see through it because yeah. she's a pretty three, like she's a very three-dimensional right. character, which is I think unusual for a, a dude comedy in the 90s. She doesn't need Wayne to look out for her. Right. He yeah. didn't save the day no. at the video shoot. He felt like he had to, but he didn't. And then when he realized that, sort of like Austin Powers, he was okay with it. Yeah. His masculinity wasn't threatened. He saw her for like the affection. And how many tri- contrived conflicts have we seen in comedies where the guy has mas- macho masculinity overpowers? And no matter how independent and smart they try to make the female character, in the end, she needs the guy. Right. And that's just not, not the case. It's not the case here. It's a really all. good point. And I, I actually love... The scene, one of the scenes I laughed at the most this time around, was the scene where they kind of fall for each other when he learns Catanese and they're talking, <laughs> and the fact that uh-huh. it was just a, such a fun joke that he basically just says, "Slow down, I'm still learning." Yeah. But then as but they're then talking, he's, like, he's like talking about he says like self nullifying her response. He's responsible for her self nullifying <laughs> behavior. <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 Uh, and that also brings me to there's really that scene and there was okay. one other scene that. I was going to say, are we going to talk about this? I think we're talking about his ex-girlfriend with the gun rack. There's that part, which is also really funny. Oh, okay, because that one just... The Stacy scenes work really well. And and, and a lot of those are are pretty lowbrow humor for a lot. But like, I still laugh so hard when she slams her bike into that car. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I the gun rack scene is probably my favorite Stacy scene, but what I noticed this time that I I, I I mean I've seen it, but like really made me laugh this time was the the scene where he's I think he's on his way to talk to Tia Carrera for the first time. Oh, and yeah. it's a dolly shot where he's on the dolly. So he's just mm. floating. Oh yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. And then like <laughs> Stacy shows up and Mike Myers' face is just like, <laughs> I want to stay in this fantasy, but Stacy's right With, there. With like the psycho theme kind of coming yeah, in there yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, but Mike Myers' performance in that scene where he's just sort of like, uh, but like he's yeah. not trying, he's trying to keep the fantasy from dying, but he's like, yeah, I don't know. It's just such a pitch perfect movie. It really is. Yeah. Uh, well, okay. So one one last thing I wanted to touch on, and it has to do generally with Mike Myers. Okay. I can't believe after watching these how much comedy we owe solely to Mike yes. Myers. Yeah. I can't believe it. Okay, you've got not jokes. Yep. <laughs> you he didn't make it up, but popularizing what Steve Carell would go on to do with the office with that's what she said. Yep. Like I from what I understand, there's actually a whole article I read that was a history of that's what she said. Really? Yeah. Which actually started as a, a, a one-off line Chevy Chase said in an early SNL episode. 
but then Mike Myers popularized it with Wayne's World. It was both in SNL and in the movies. So the fact that we all still say that's what she said, you can thank Mike Myers for that. Right. You know, the throw me a freaking bone here from Austin. I mean, yeah. there's that. You've got, you know, the idea of the family guy thing of letting right. jokes go on too long till they're not funny and then they're funny again. And and the whole thing we talked about with putting these big characters in mundane domestic situations. Yeah. Like I would say that a lot of so I love Wet Hot American Summer. I love uh, the things they've produced since then, David Wayne, Michael Showalter, Michael Ian Black, the people, members of the state. Um, and this is actually timely now because the the newest season of White Hot American Summer just came out on Netflix. I think there's a lot from Wayne's World that would, I think you could say, yeah, influence. Especially the meta stuff, America for Summer. sure. Yeah. And like the some of the out of out of nowhere absurdist sort of yeah, stuff. That really it would take, it took Wayne's World for you to realize that that could even be pulled off. Right. Like you can have a movie that doesn't really have an ending, right. you know, like, yeah. how do you do that? Well, this right. is how you do it, you know? Yeah. Or a movie that like references the acting that the character is, that the actor is doing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. So I'm kind of hoping that like other people are doing the same thing we're doing. I think they are. I think a lot of people are revisiting Wayne's world Definitely and Powers no, right it, now. And yeah, I, I hope there's a, a, a resurgence of appreciation for him. I think the point is we really enjoyed these movies. Right. And there's some really good stuff there beyond just like the naughty humor that made us giggle when we were 13 and a real solid mind and talent behind it all. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're definitely on the same page with Wayne's World. Yeah. I actually, I'm going to bump that up to a five. Yeah. Good. From a four and a half. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to bump Austin Powers up to a four. Are you? I really am. Uh, I'm not lying. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because... The craft is still there. I feel like I can see the movie, and I'm not. I'm not accusing you of this. I can. I can see the movie apart from how annoying it got. Mm-hmm. And there are parts that still maybe haven't been able to wash that stain off. That don't work. Maybe they just don't work that well on me as a 32 year old, or maybe they just don't work after 20 years of other things. But I think the bones of that movie are there. And by the way, anytime we've made anything that could possibly be a double entendre, I feel like we should have like Austin Powers saying, oh, behave. <laughs> On our podcast? Yeah, mean, like, like we, should, we should splice it in. I, right. I'm not telling I'll you. I'll go back through the you archives. Don't need to. Yeah, really listen. listen for anything that could possibly be dirty and then just a mic my ears like, oh, behave. <laughs> uh, so the bones of the movie, <laughs> oh, behave, are there. Uh, and they're they're great, honestly. Like the things that work about it, I think work better than a lot of other movies. Mm. And the fact that it held up at all was a very pleasant surprise to me. I'm gonna leave Wayne's World at five. No sure. reason not to have best buds there. Best buds there. Uh, I think I'm still gonna split a little bit on Austin Powers. I don't think I'm. I think I'm just gonna keep it at a three. And oh I know I know it's a personal thing. There's just something there that's not quite working as well as it did when I was in junior high. And it's Whoa. I don't not entirely just because of the culture what it did with it. I think part of it may have to do with the Vanessa character and that interview. Well, yeah, I guess Powers. I didn't talk and much about. We don't need to pick it apart again. Vanessa. We obviously already did that. But I think that that we're maybe gonna split on that. You know, and okay. and. And that's okay because, you know, I've realized that plutonic love can exist between two grown men. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Best Buds and uh, Mutual Understanding. Mutual under- best Buds on like, Wade's World, yeah. Mutual Understanding. I, I, hope, I hope. I mean, yeah. you understand where I'm coming from a little yeah, bit Yeah, that's maybe. fine. And that's fine if you want to keep it at four stars. I'm not going to hold that against you. Oh, thanks. I didn't keep I moved it. 
moving it to four stars. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe, maybe you disagree. I'd say, of course, with Wayne's World, obviously we both rated it five stars. We say rewatch Wayne's World. Yeah. I say rewatch Austin Powers. No, I would say rewatch it. Um, I just don't know about where your expectations should be in that. I think it was a good, it was a maybe, fun. Maybe I've but, raised expectations too high now. Well, I don't know. I just feel like it was a, it was a fun exercise as far as rewatching mm-hmm. goes. I was happy to rewatch it. It was fun to, to rewatch. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of where it ended. Will like, I be rewatching it again? Yeah, I don't will know. Will you? I don't know. You know, and that's for me is like, it's okay. I it's might, okay. You know what? If I'm, if I'm like with those friends again and we're, we're going to watch a movie, it would po- probably be fun to watch Austin Powers again. All right. Well, there you have it. We did it. Two movies. I don't know how we pulled it off, but we're still alive. Yeah. I don't know if our listeners still are, but we'll see if they listen next time. Uh, so let's go ahead and uh, switch gears and maybe talk about what we're going to discuss in our next episode. Okay. So we're going to stick with 1997. I really love revisiting the eighth grade. Sure. I think that's what it is. That might be it. So it's a movie that, uh, I'll just say, it's, we're going to watch Starship Troopers. Mm-hmm. I've never seen it. Nate, you saw it. I saw it in the theater. You saw it back in the day. Yeah. So this is a movie that I remember when it came out, everybody was like, what the heck is this? This is stupid. As time has gone on, more and more writers, critics that Nate and I respect have listed this as one of the most like subversive sci-fi movies. Like that it's gotten a lot of recognition for the message it was creating mm-hmm. and a form which was misunderstood. Yeah. Count me amongst those that misunderstood, misunderstood it, it because I hated this movie. And, and I, it, I, that's saying I don't a lot know. when you're in eighth grade. I don't know. Right? Yeah, definitely. I don't know anybody who did like this movie when they saw it in 1997. So we're going to watch it. It's directed by Paul Verhoeven. I think I'm saying mm-hmm. that correctly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my, that sounds right. Uh, yeah. Paul V, director of Ro- Robocop, Total Recall. Um, Basic Instinct. Basic Instinct. Yeah, a very wide variety. He's directed a lot of different movies. Mm -hmm. And frankly, I think with uh, the looming threat of nuclear war in the air, um, which isn't an exaggeration. No, sadly. Literal threat from our president. We're gonna we're gonna watch Starship Troopers with a heavy heart and (laughs) one eye on the sky. And I don't know how I feel about watching this. I know I was the one who suggested it, and you said, yeah, that's uh, fine, let's do it. Well, I f- I, at this point, I'm like, I don't know. I don't, uh, you know, I, going in, expecting a political movie may not be fair, but yeah. maybe it is. Well, a couple things. Okay. I have a friend who um, I remember, this was like uh, when I was in my 20s, was the first one who told me that that was a really misunderstood movie, and it was one of his favorites. And I never did give in our chance. Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited to kind of finally get back to my friend and say, oh, okay, I finally were, did it. Yeah, I and either it. you were, were really right, right or... I, I still don't get it. You'll yeah. have to explain that to me. Or, or you're just wrong. Right. There's that too. Oh, boy. Which I will often do to my friends, just yeah. tell them they're wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. tend to love me for it. Second thing is, only some critics are reevaluating this because it still stands at like a 51 on Metacritic. You know, it's still... Yeah, well, had, I don't know how Metacritic works. Does it do I, I don't know. That's a good question. So I don't know. I think we're going to have to maybe dig a little bit and see like, okay, so what really is sort of the evolution of the response to this movie? You know, I think I know it does have a pretty loyal fan base. Mm -hmm. And then the third thing. So you had your sort of personal story for Titanic and why you didn't really want to see it and why you really didn't want to talk about it. And I kind of have a similar thing that is not related to the movie whatsoever. Hmm. But to my experience of seeing the movie, that has are you going to be okay? 
I'll be fine. It's just sort of one of those. It, it's grade. a memory that it's sort grade. of it, it yeah. glues itself to that movie, even though it's not related in any way to the movie itself. Yeah. And I and I don't like that memory. Okay. So whether oh I'll t- whether I'll talk about it in the podcast or not, oh, wow. I don't even know. It's not like I'm hiding it or I'm ashamed of it or anything. I just don't know if it's going to be How necessary in our discussion. Be. But was my part Titanic of me, story necessary? It, it, it added for good listening. <laughs> <laughs> I kept it in the episode. I wouldn't have shared it. But. <laughs> Um, but you know, it's one of those things where it's like, part of me is kind of eager to watch it because I'd like to maybe develop a new memory. memory. Um, and then the second part of it is maybe I, but there's, there's also the, I don't, you know, I don't know that I'm ready to dig back into it. Okay. So I will, uh, I will say, I think that I literally never told anybody that I think that, well, this would be this for me too. I've never told anybody. I'll tell you. And it's going to be very disappointing for people who listen if I share it because it's, I don't like to revisit it, but no one else is going to care, you know? Well, that was the same with my story. Well, there's, I guess there's, (laughs) there's something about, because what, what age were you with that? That was like freshman year. No, it was seventh grade. Yeah. So same, about the same year. I I just think that maybe it's guys in particular. I feel like there's certain memories around that seventh, eighth grade period of life that you just, you you think back on what you'll be doing the dishes and you think back on it and you're like, Oh, it kind of hits you in the gut. And you're like, that's just sad. What what I was going to say before you made it clear that it wasn't interesting. Uh, <laughs> sharing it. It was interesting. Don't sharing get me it actually did help me. Okay. And maybe it was the it combination of sharing it. it and seeing. We're usually we usually try to joke at the end here. This is like Therapy actually, time. Nate, I need you to yeah <laughs> to know about. Uh, I will say that seeing it probably replacing that memory and then like exercising the memory really did help me. And for listeners who are completely lost right now, what we're talking about is our Titanic, our Titanic yeah. episode where Ryan watched it in totality for the first time ever Titanic yeah and the reason that you had not watched it was because of this thing that kind happened. of was, yeah and scarring, if you want to know what that was memory, yeah, you we're can not go back and listen it to it yeah. we're not going to share it here because it doesn't apparently it's not interesting it is here. very I'm talking about my experience <laughs> I actually think yours is like if you were going to write a screenplay of which would be the more interesting oh, thing to okay. write about as okay. far as a coming of age memory Mine is just not, there's not much to it's it. It's just one of those things that for some reason you've carried as yes. either embarrassing or whatever. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I know what that is. Yeah. yeah. I think we all have those things. That and you the fact like. that the two of us really te- seem to kind of gel those with specific movies is kind of odd. In you know? 1997. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In the fall yeah. of 1997. <laughs> yeah. How weird is that? Yeah. yeah. Well, and just looking at the IMDb, there's already one aspect of this movie that was ahead of its time. And that is casting Neil Patrick Harris. Oh, hot dog. You know what I mean? Like that was in '97, also, also behind its time. If you're counting Doogie Howser, right? Is that what you mean? I mean, 1997 wasn't exactly. It's right prime in that. Neil. It's right in that like sort of hipster pocket in a way. Oh, sure. Like, you know, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, oh, right, right, right. So right it could be like Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah, we were casting him in 1997. <laughs> we do. So, we do. Yeah. yeah. So Tony Awards hosts, hirers. Don't pat yourself on the yeah. back too hard. Yeah. Don't Patrick yourself on the back too hard. Oh, behave. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh dang. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. So this movie's got a lot of uh, before it was cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, definitely watch it with us. Although right now it doesn't seem to be streaming Streamers, on any of the platforms. Uh, the Netflix. The it Amazon. was for a long time, but we're, we're kind of in a... Uh, we we thinking, can't say too much, but a legal battle with Netflix where they... 
It's just yeah. we have to announce we, what episode we're doing so they can take it down. Right. They they actually we've got such a, a broad fan base and a broad reach that when once a movie streams, like we we announce an episode streaming on Netflix, it actually overpowers the servers for so many nights in a row. Right. That Netflix uh, has. Honestly, they've gotten a lot of complaints about buffering and is, streaming quality, and it's just, it's it's a thing, and it's not. A, it, I said legal battle. I don't want to. I don't want to misrepresent it because we're not on bad terms well, with Netflix. No, long story short, they had to. They had to analyze the cost right. of. Yes, we've got a lot of viewers, but <laughs> we've got so many viewers. It's actually hurting the quality of our product. Right. You, you can't blame them for it. Long story short. It's not in their financial interest to stream the movies that we're doing. We get it. They've been they've actually been very nice about yeah. it. And we get that because, you know, we're not really in it for the money. We're not. But Obviously we don't do we that understand but their we, bottom line and we don't want to be intrusive on that bottom line. It would so, be really yeah. So for that reason that's not that's not that's are we bigger than Netflix? Who's to say? It's the the numbers I guess the numbers say. The numbers but would seem to I reflect that. I don't wanna I don't even that that could get Anyway, we're not in it for the they've money. been very nice about it. We've we've been we we're willing to accommodate that. What what kind of sticks in our craw is, and we never talk to Amazon about this. We never talk to Hulu about this. They caught wind of it, and they I don't know who it is, but somehow they are brought in on what movie we're picking. They end up taking it off too. I just I I would have appreciated them coming to us. Absolutely, and just Netflix saying. did. Right. Netflix did. We're not seeing a dime of that, but it's, it's not about the money. And it's not, like I said, it's not a legal no, battle. We're it's about, not a battle. We're about helping you win hipster discussions that's about it, movies. We're it. not about the money. That's exactly right. Um, so if you've seen this movie and you want to contribute to, to the conversation, tell us what you think about uh, Starship Troopers. Um, if you want to tell us why you will not be watching Starship Troopers again because you hated it so much the first time. Uh, if you've watched Wayne's World and Austin Powers with us, we would love to hear from you. We've got the typical avenues. We've mm -hmm. got Facebook. We've got Twitter. Uh, we've got our email feedback at canwestillbefriends.net. Um, you can leave us a comment on our website, which is the latter half of that email. Can we still be friends? Yeah, just, net. just give it to him again. Can we still be friends? Net, yep. Yeah, just in case. And we've also got our voicemail. We didn't. Uh, no Doctor Evil impressions. No Doctor Evil impressions. Uh, so we're still taking those. Yeah, I mean, we're not going to close the door on that. No, no, no. I don't think we'll That's ever close the door perpetuity, on that. Perpetuity. Yeah. If I'm using that word correctly. In fact, if you are watching Starship Troopers and there's a line that you really like, but you think that would have actually sounded better Dr. by Doctor Evil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just deliver it. By all means, yeah. Give it to us through sure. our voicemail. That number is 847-306-9532. The, the, the lines are open. Operators are standing by. Thanks for listening. Yeah. I don't um, think we'll get in trouble for saying too much about our Netflix deal, but um, definitely thanks for listening. Um, if you want to reach out and leave us a ratings on the Apple Podcast, right. uh, that'd be great. Yeah, because we're not in it for the money, but the we're ratings not. help. Right. We're in it for the numbers, uh, and the numbers don't lie, Netflix. Um, yeah, thanks for listening to our uh, discussion of uh, Mike Myers. Yeah, this Hopefully we've done. I think we've done a lot for his yeah. career. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> All right, thanks for listening, and uh, hopefully you'll join us next time when we talk about Starship Troopers.
I feel I could fill about three calls worth just on thoughts on Wayne's World. Probably two more uh, on all things Austin Powers. One of the hilarious notes is the lasting impact of Lorne Michaels on both of these movies. So you've got the Wayne's World characters that came from SNL. And with that, you actually have Rob Lowe's character. He was built to be Lorne Michaels in the movie. They, they had him say Lorne Michaels lines. They had Rob Lowe do almost a Lorne Michael impression. And then, if that wasn't enough, Mike Myers couldn't get past it. And he pretty much made Dr. Evil Mike Myers' impression of Lorne Michaels being evil. Uh, the hilarity is like, the lasting impact, not just of SNL on these films, but Lorne Michaels specifically on Mike Myers and all of his Canadian wonder. Uh, it's, it's much to be appreciated. I don't know if there's anything worth talking about there, but I still is just cracking up at Dr. Evil doing all of his Dr. Evil things knowing yeah, it's really Mike Myers doing his own Lord Michael impression. So anyway, I'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks.